0: That is a beautiful song, and my wife has a beautiful voice. I can hear her all the way over there when I was standing. I love listening to her sing, because she covers me up normally. (laughs) Um, This is a poem, and uh, I have two books. I saw my screen disappear here. That's always a scary thing. Anyway... Don't be distracted by the guy standing up here. All right, I'm giving away or gifting uh, two books here, Operation World. Um, Every Christian really should own this. This is a prayer guide to the world. It has every country in the world listed in it. It has the status of Christianity there, and it has up-to-date prayer requests for what uh, God is doing through his people in those places. So you should own this. I'm also uh, gifting the Global Mission Handbook. This just came out a year and a half ago. It's one of the best resources for people who are seriously investigating missions. It has articles from about 100 different authorities in the the area of missions and cross-cultural work from around the world. And this is a workbook also. There's exercises in here to help you think things through your readiness for cross-cultural ministry. It really is one of the best things out there. And I like to give those away, but you have to be qualified. And um, I would like you to write a poem <coughs> of uh, less than 100 words. It, it needs to, like, this is like a nice length here. Limericks, I, I, wish, I wrote one last night. It was pretty bad, but uh, um, although all of my limericks are fun. If you include one with my name in it, my, I might even give you even higher favor in the, in the judging. Uh, but um, you know, you know faculty and staff, especially like uh, Mr. Little or Mr. Karen, you, know, they figure in you know, real big in my uh, decision-making too. Actually, Becky's the one who, who makes the final decision on who should get the book. So you want to write a poem as to why you should own one of these uh, two books. And the, we will read those at, um, hmm, what's that? At chapel tomorrow, and we will award these. So, uh, turn your poem in either directly to me or put it on our uh, table up there. It's the Chris Star table. Um, don't give it to Harry Shrub, because he, uh, where is he? Is he in here? He would, oh, he's up there, yeah. Anyway, he doesn't know poetry. I, the reason I say that is because Turkey... I have to tell you a story about, about poetry. We, we lived in Turkey, ministered in Turkey, and I taught English in a private high school. And so uh, one of my responsibilities, every faculty member had to be on... Every student had to be in some kind of club, and uh, I was part of the library club. There was a Turkish teacher and myself. We were the head of head the library club. Why does that make you laugh? (laughs) If I were not a missionary, what would I be? If I were not a missionary, a librarian, I would be. Oh, come on. Um, Anyway, so the library club. And so, uh, you know, we're brainstorming in the library club what can we do to get the student body to read? And so I'm going, you know, typical North American fashion let's have a contest. The one who reads the most pages of books in English will win a subscription to their, their favorite English magazine. The one who reads the most pages in Turkish will win that subscription to their favorite Turkish magazine. And the students in the club go, oh, that's a good idea, that's great, you know. And then they kept brainstorming some more and the, the Turkish teacher says, let's have a poetry contest." Oh, yes! Poetry con- I mean, they just went absolutely berserk. About poetry contest. Oh, okay. I'm, you know, I'm not that into that. But uh, okay. Well, I found out uh, every every Friday uh, in Turkey at schools across Turkey, they have a um, closing ceremony for school. And interestingly enough, um, they they uh, they sing the the national anthem, and uh, every club in the school had a poetry contest. And their week, in library week, throughout, they, you know, they, they had poetry for soccer. They had poetry for volleyball. They had poetry for every club in the school. Anyway, so it, it was a big deal. And at that ceremony, they sing the national anthem, they read the poem, and then they would put the flag up, the Turkish flag up, and everybody would go home. And on Monday morning, they'd do the same thing all, all over again. They'd sing the national anthem, put, take the flag down, and have school all week. So when they were in school, the flag was down. Anyway, I do not know why that is, but that is the way it is. Anyway, write a poem. We're having a poetry contest. Pretend you're Turkish. Throw a couple of Turkish words in there, and I'll give you extra points. Okay, enough of that. You know, I only have one message. And it's about God and Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. In fact, I had Mr. Karen review to see, what did I preach last year when I was here? And sure enough, I preached the same message, so here we go. It's review, so don't go to sleep. No, actually it's not. I, I switched the text around. No, this is actually completely new, never been done before, actually. <laughs> Seriously. Because I just put these points down. Um, well, two of them I came up with two days ago, and the, and the third one I just added when I was sitting down there, so... Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your great goodness to us. And truly, you are the Savior of the world. And Lord, um, in class earlier this morning, as we talked with Ahmed, and Lord, the one student who said, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a testimony to the truth. Lord, that is so true. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and confirm the truth of your word to us. Lord, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us. And Lord, may my words be forgotten, but may your truth be burned into our souls. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As you can see on the screen up there, I need to turn around and make sure that it is portraying exactly what I'm doing here and that our tech guy back there is not doodling onto my my overheads back there. All right, there you can see the Christians of the world. Every little dot there represents uh, Christians. Now, you see Canada does not have that many blue dots. That's not because we don't have a lot of Christians. It's because we don't have a lot of people. We are like the emptiest nation in the world when it comes to uh, land use. we got a lot of empty land under which a lot of dirty oil is under it. And thus, we we are fairly protected from the uh, um, ravages of recession that are going around the world. Now, we superimpose on this. We have the unevangelized of the world And you see those uh, red areas there. And you can see they're basically not where uh, believers are. That's one of the reasons they haven't heard of uh, Christ, is because we are not among them. So there's this great imbalance in the world. We use these terms reached and unreached. I like to use the word least reached, because a lot of people think unreached means unevangelized. Like many of you where where you live, not here, well maybe here, maybe your next door neighbor in the room next door to you is unsaved, but uh, no, sorry, I don't mean that. Uh, But uh, a lot of people think that their unsaved neighbor next to them is unreached. No, they're not unreached, the fact that you as a believer live next to them, and you are of the same culture, you can communicate the gospel in a way they can understand. They are living within a reached culture. Unreached or least reached means that there are not Christians within their community who can share the gospel in a way that they can understand it. In other words, uh, unless someone crosses a cultural barrier those people will not hear the good news of Jesus Christ in a way they can understand it. So what this chart shows here is that approximately a third of the world lives in those kind of communities. A third of the communities of the world are least reached. Unless some Christian from somewhere crosses a cultural barrier, these people will not hear of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, remember the red dots that we saw earlier. They pretty much parallel these three major groupings. Islam is the largest non-Christian religion in the world. Hinduism, and then Buddhism. Uh, the, primarily, the unbelievers of the world, the ones who are least reached, who can't hear the gospel unless someone goes to them, live in, amongst these groups. Uh, three major world religions. Now, let's look at um, this uh, map again. Where do you not see red dots? North America, you don't see red dots. In South America, you don't see red dots. Does that mean that we shouldn't send missionaries from Canada to places like Brazil or Paraguay? No, not necessarily, because God sovereignly leads people to help the church where it's established to complete the job in their country. But by and large, the Great Commission says to us, go and make disciples of the nations. We are to go, well let's, let's look at a passage of scripture I want to start out with, is uh, Romans chapter 15, this is kind of a verse that I use all the time, I believe this is the missionary verse, Romans chapter 15, Paul goes through the whole book of Romans, uh, you don't graduate from this place until you have studied very thoroughly the book of Romans, it basically contains all of New Testament theology. And down in the last chapters of Romans, Paul gets very particular, he's talking about some personal things and all, and uh, he says, um, uh, verse 19, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem, around about as far as Illyricum, or today's Albania, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So in all those areas, he's completed his job as a missionary. And he says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, those who had no news of him shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul, I'm putting my watch out here. It's going to be meaningless, I know, but I'm putting out there just as a safeguard. I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. He was committed to preaching Christ where the church was not established, where there were not people who could communicate Jesus. And this is what the missionary impulse is, to go to those places where you can't hear about Jesus because there are not other witnesses there. That's what it's all about. Go and make disciples of the nations. Every single one of us must be involved in some way in this task. This is the very heart of God. God wants every person on the face of this planet to have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ, our Savior. I can't say that any more clearly. Now, that in this school I know is made very clear but it's very easy to forget about the state of the world living here in Canada especially on a campus like this where you know we live and mix with saved people all day long but I want you to know that there are places in the world where there are literally no believers. Now, looking at this chart, and we looked at this uh, map previously, we saw the blue, and then we saw the red. And basically, the red here, is, there are very few believers. Uh, in India, can you identify India on the chart there? I have a little arrow here, right there. There's India. Actually, this is South Asia. Here's Bangladesh, here's Afghanistan, here's Pakistan, here's India. That's called South Asia. And India, you you see some white spots there in India. Uh, India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh are very, very densely populated. And there are a fair number of uh, Christians in uh, India. In fact, there are probably three times as many true believers in India, more than three times as many true believers in India as in all of Canada. You know, there, there are a lot of true believers in India. But they're primarily on the east coast of India and up in the northeast uh, corner. There are whole states in India, Uttar Pradesh, for example, that are three, over three times the population of Canada. We have about 35 million people in Canada, according to our last census. And there are over three times that many people in just one state of India. And we probably have more people, more believers within, say, uh, 50 kilometers of us right here in New Brunswick than in the whole state of Uttar Pradesh, which is three times the population of Canada. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about missions. And when Paul said, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, he aspired to preach the gospel in Uttar Pradesh. Now, look at this map here. I keep on pointing my face at this, uh, um, and it's not working, and it, it's this habit, you know, you have this thing pointing at you when you're a speaker. Uh, look at that, that uh, map of the world there, and what are the, some of the countries there that you can make out as a neophyte uh, geographer there? Name some of those countries. Excuse me? Did you say Iran? Morocco. Morocco. Oh, yeah. Right there. Morocco. And you speak French, do you not? The second language in Morocco is French. I was just talking last year to some of my really good friends who minister there. And I said, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do to prepare to come to Morocco? I'd learn to speak French first and then Arabic when I got here. Anyway, just, just so you know, just not laying anything on you, but <laughs> Morocco, Morocco is the population of Canada. It's the population of Canada. And there are only 1,000 believe, Moroccan believers in this country, 1,000 believers in the whole country. okay that's one of these places okay can you make out another country there yeah okay over here we've got uh, cambodia or myanmar or whatever we're calling it these days i lose track and uh where did my arrow go <coughs> myanmar and uh, laos all in there very buddhist area of the world um These areas are in great need of witnesses of Jesus Christ. Some other countries that you notice on there. Yeah. Ooh. North Korea. And notice what's right below it. South Korea. (laughs) North. (laughs) South. All right. That's not supposed to be funny. Uh, But North Korea is one of the, to use the word, most closed countries in the world today. And we need valiant witnesses to be witnesses there. When I was in Bible college, the most closed country of the world was what? Do you know? Does anybody know? What's that? Bolivia? Or Libya? No. Not Russia. Albania. Albania was the most closed country in the world. In fact, it was officially atheistic. It was the only country in the world that their official religion was atheism. Uh, in the ni- early 1980s, a priest said, a, a former Catholic priest, not practicing, said God's name in public and he was put in prison for 10 years. The largest radio transmitter in the world at that time was in the capital city of Albania. The most powerful radio transmitter in the world. And do you know what they broadcast? Any guesses? No, not atheistic rhetoric. It was not used for broadcasting, but for jamming radio signals so that nothing could come into this country. We couldn't even broadcast into Albania. People would take fluorescent orange bags with Albanian Bible verses printed on them, inflate them with hydrogen, and let them blow across the border into Albania. That's how we got the gospel into Albania. But in 1991, when communism basically was overthrown in the former Soviet Union, things uh, much of the Eastern Bloc countries of Eastern Europe Uh, communism uh, was overthrown. Enver Hoxha, uh, the communist dictator of Albania, was killed. And in 1991, missionaries for the first time in like a hundred years walked across the soil of Albania. And today, Albania is one of the most responsive countries of the world uh, to the gospel. So they went from the most closed country to one of the most open countries in the world. The same thing happened to Mongolia. In, uh, when I was in Bible college in the early 1980s, do not compute that, in the early 1980s, there were only 10 known believers in the whole country of Mongolia. But today, Mongolia has thousands of believers. It's not a real big uh, populous country, fewer than 4 million people there. But they are now sending, for amongst the believers there, for... I'm not sure exactly what the proportion is, but they send more missionaries per believer than any other country of the world. And it was in the top ten least evangelized countries of the world. This can also change in North Korea if we of the church will, if we will pray, if we will do all, worldwide the church does all in its power to see the gospel come there. Paul said, I aspired to preach the gospel where Christ is not named. So, I have three points I want to make today. And the first one is go tell. Now, in Canada, I, I hear this so much in my own church and other churches, is we invite people to church to come hear the gospel inviting people to church is not evangelism the church is primarily meant for us as believers to equip us to live jesus in the world as a witness and a testimony the bible says go tell not come and hear we hear preached many times from the new testament You know, like the woman at the well. She says, come and hear a man who told everything I ever did in my life. That's true. Come and hear. But what she's doing is, come meet Jesus. Jesus is not in your church building. Jesus is everywhere. We invite people to Jesus. But we are to go and tell people about Jesus and invite them to Jesus. So that's the first point I want to make is that inviting people to church is not evangelism. Evangelism is going and telling people, being a witness of Christ. Because, of course, you see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, if an unbeliever should happen into our assembly and hear us prophesying, he will fall down and say, God is in this place. So the implication of that very passage is that, that unbelievers weren't often in the assembly of the believers. It is a worship service intended for us to equip us as believers to live Jesus out in the world. Can I say that more emphatically? Go tell, not come here. Okay? That's my first point. My second point is, and I hear this in mission conferences a lot, and I may step on some toes when I say that. But one of the favorite verses that I hear many times in mission conferences, and I just heard it in the last week by a very famous preacher, and I did not stand up and take issue with him. Uh, But uh, in Isaiah, where Isaiah has this vision of the Lord high and lifted up, and God says, who will go for us and whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here am I. Great, right, okay. You have to understand the context here. Um, were all the people of Israel having this vision with Isaiah? Who was having this vision? Just Isaiah. So it's more like this. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah looks around. Um, Here, I send me. It's not a volunteer service, missionary service. People, I think we have it wrong. We culturally, in our Christianity in North America, have made missionary service something you volunteer for. I believe it is something that Christian leaders need to invite people to. Come with me. So it's more selection rather than volunteer. Let's look at, um, let's think about the Apostle Paul himself, whom we look at as like the kind of first missionary. Uh, turn over to Acts chapter 26. You have your choice of Paul's testimonies to look at because it's three times in the book of Acts. You've got Acts 9, Acts 24, and Acts 26. I have a red letter edition right here, so whipping open Acts chapter 26 and looking at the red letters, here's Jesus talking to Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goes. And I said, who art thou, Lord? Duh. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuted. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. Paul didn't volunteer. He was under orders. And how did this work out? We turn back in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 13. Now, there was at Antioch. Now, we have to understand Antioch also. Antioch was the first place we have a non-Jewish church. It's the first time that there is a Gentile church. You know, such a big deal was made that, you know, Peter, you went and spoke to Cornelius the centurion and you shouldn't have been with those Gentiles. I mean, you know, go and make disciples of the nations. You know, how long did it take? You know, we don't know the time gap there, but it took them years to grasp the fact that God really wanted them to witness to non-Jewish people. And so here... People who were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen, some of them went to Cyprus and went as far as Antioch and started speaking the gospel to Gentiles there. And people turned to Jesus Christ. And so Barnabas was sent up there to put the seal of the church upon them. And then he, he knew, Paul, oh yeah, Paul. Paul. I I remember Paul, you know, he had this vision of Jesus and I took him and introduced him to the elders in the church and we sent him off to uh, Tarsus for 10 years for safekeeping so we didn't kill him in uh, Jerusalem. He would be really helpful here. So I brought him in there and they were some of the primary teachers. So, there you have Antioch. The first Gentile church and they realized that God had done something absolutely unique here that it had not been done in history. No more was it direct seed of Abraham who were the chosen people, but every tribe and nation and tongue were welcome to him. Something special had been done. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manion who had been brought up with Herod the tetrarch and Saul. I ignore that one? That's annoying. At 20 after, I thought you... Oh, I was... Yes, right. Okay. I was confused on time here. But that's all right. That's all right. The Holy Spirit is working. Uh, And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So here is another affirmation of Paul's call. These men, the leaders of the church... And and Paul and Barnabas are like founders of the church. In a time of prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them, took two of the key leaders, and sent them off. Turn over three more chapters to uh, Acts chapter 16. And Paul is launching off on a second missionary journey here with Silas. And Paul, you'll read, selected Silas in the end of chapter 15 there. But here's how Timothy came to be part of the missionary band. He came also to Derbe and to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his name was a, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Timothy did not volunteer, and he became a church planner, and he has two of what I call the church planning letters written to him, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Young men, and I'm addressing you in particular, because this was not Paulina and Sylvia going out on this missionary journey, it was Paul and Silas. Young men, are you willing to have a missionary walk up to you and say, I would like you to go with me. And pastors, a lot of you are, are looking at the pastorate. Are you going to lay hands on young people in your congregation? Your best, your primary people, the ones that you don't want to lose, are you willing to lay hands on them and send them out? This is where missionaries come from. So, the first One is, it's not come hear the gospel, it's go tell. And missionaries are not volunteers, they are selected. And you'll have to wait until tomorrow for the next one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take your word and speak to our hearts. And Father, I pray that Christian leaders across our land would take their responsibility for not hogging the wonderful spiritual people you place in their care, but thrust them forth into the harvest field. Lord, we pray that you would send forth laborers to North Korea, to Morocco, to Burkina Faso, to Yemen, to northern Iraq, to Saudi Arabia. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would send people fearless people from your church in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.